tonight. If you will turn with me in your book, uh, in the book of Genesis, we're going to start in chapter number two tonight. We had a great time Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Boy, that was great. The women worked hard. The women got everything. Uh, the men got everything on the outside looking good. Everybody ate to their fullest. We stayed here most of the day. Joe got him some eggs. <laughs> Amen. And we enjoyed each other, and we want to thank you for all that you have done there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter number 2. I would tell you, you'll find out as the longer you listen to me, that a lot of my services, a lot of my messages jump off from the book of Genesis. There's, there's hardly no way to preach a message without pulling Genesis into it. Because Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. And what I like to do when I'm teaching out of Genesis is I like to bring out some things that have laid hidden uh, in this in these verses, in, in this book, there is so much in this book that in the English translation is laid hidden. And the more we can see of it in our study, the more we can see what God is trying to accomplish. So tonight I want to just give you a thought. I want to talk with you not only about your Christian life, but I want to talk to you about your mindset tonight. I want to talk to you what type of mindset you have to have to go forward in this life. Although as I preached Sunday morning, it is finished. Jesus has won the battle. The culmination, the consummation of this battle that we're facing will not be completely over or manifest here in the earth until Jesus returns. So he said, those of us that endure to the end shall be saved. It's hard to endure to the end when you're not determined. It's hard to endure to the end if you don't know what you're holding on to. It's hard to endure to the end when everybody's talking to you, telling you different things. So tonight, I want to talk with you just a little bit on that. In Genesis chapter number 2, I just want to read the last verse there. Then we're going to go over to chapter number 3. And then we're going to flip all the way to Revelation chapter number 3. And we'll read there. Verse 25 of Genesis chapter number 2. Speaking of Adam and Eve, and the Bible says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were both naked. Underline that word naked. Circle it. The man and his wife. Could underline that and circle it. And they were not ashamed. That's very important. Not ashamed. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle, underline or circle that word, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, underline that, midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they were naked. Circle that if you will. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God calling in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves, circle that, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto them, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, circle that, because I was naked, circle that, and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Underline that. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou givest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. Underline that word beguiled. The serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. If you remember Sunday morning, I spoke just briefly on that, but I want to point out the word bruise there. The word bruise there simply means to strike like a serpent, to snap at you like a serpent. So the very thing that Satan tried to destroy God, the very person that God, that Satan tried to destroy God's kingdom with, and the very way that he tried to do it with the serpent, God said, I'm going to turn around and do it with you. I'm going to use the same person or the same entity on both sides, and I'm going to strike you the same way. So whatever God, whatever the devil tries to use to destroy God's kingdom with you, he's going to take it and turn it right around on the devil and use it against him. Someone needs to say amen. amen. And unto the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And at Adam he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return into the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. From dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt. Return. Turn with me to Revelation chapter number 3 quickly. We'll go back to Genesis chapter number 3 here in just a little bit. When you have that tonight, say amen. All right, I got you. Revelation chapter number 3. We're going to be reading the letter to the church of Laodicea. The word Laodicea means several different things, but one thing it does mean is the church of the people. The church of the people under judgment. 
this is written to us today because we are the people under judgment. Thank God we have grace to look at. Verse 14 said, And unto the angel of the Lord of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So in order for you to understand what he's fixing to say here, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the creation. Very important. He said, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, circle that word, I counsel thee to go buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesal that they mayest see. How many are starting to see? Correspondence back from Genesis chapter number three to this. You see, there they were naked. God said, Come to him that you'll buy clothes from me. Come to me that I can anoint your eyes, that your eyes will be opened back up, that you can truly see. Verse 19 said, And as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Go with me quickly back to Genesis chapter number 3. I need to point out just a few words before I give you my thought tonight. It's really important that you see this because there are some things in the book of Genesis that many people miss. And because of that, we don't understand what God's plan is for us. First off, in verse 25 of chapter number 202, the word naked, I had you circle some of those words. I heard you circle the word naked in Genesis 2.25. I had you circle the word subtle in Genesis 3 and 1 and naked in 3.7. I want you to understand in the Hebrew, those words are the same, the exact same words. It is translated different in the English Bible, but in the original Hebrew, those words are the same. So what is it about being naked that makes you subtle? What is it about subtility that makes you naked? The Hebrew word for naked in verse 22, verse 25, is an adjective. The Hebrew word for naked in verse 7 of chapter number 3 is a noun. There's two differences there. The Hebrew word is the word aorum, aorum. And it literally means to be nude, to be bare-skinned, not be covered. In Genesis chapter number 3, verse 1, it is the same word. The vowel, though, however, is changed, and it's arum, and it's with the uh, letter U. That word subtle there means to be cunning, to be crafty, to be prudent, to be sly, to be artful, to be insinuating, and to be deceitful, and to become so delicate or precise that you are difficult to analyze and describe. It means you're delicately complex. You're clever. 
And the way you get things done is you get things done by saying things indirectly and people don't know what you're really doing. In other words, you're using a word play against them. And then when you go down to chapter number three, verse number seven, you have the very same word again used as a noun. And that word there, when it's talking about being naked, it means to be uncovered and to remove a covering. Not only does it mean to remove the covering, it means to be raised, R-A-Z-E-D. Mean that an enemy came and removed the covering. It means that you have been captured. It means that you have been stripped of what covering you had, all of your clothing, and you've been laid bare and naked, and you have a painful feeling of being humiliated, and you have a painful feeling of guilt because you're finding out that you have been stripped by an enemy, and now that enemy rules you. It literally means to completely destroy your protection, to completely destroy your covering. It's very important that you understand that this word play from Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, in the word naked in English, the word subtle in English, and the word naked in chapter 3, verse 7, is the exact same Hebrew word. They're just used differently to explain to some things with you. Now go back to chapter 2, verse 25. You'll see there that God said that the man and the woman, the man and his wife, was naked, but they were not ashamed. He's saying there they were not embarrassed. They were not guilty. They were not guilty because of their actions. They didn't have any sense of guilt whatsoever. They were created by God in a perfect environment, in a perfect state. They had nothing in them, nothing on them, nothing about them whatsoever that caused any type of shame. They weren't even aware of the shame. Nothing caused to them on the inside that painful feeling of humiliation or distress that you get into when you find out that you've done something wrong or you've done something foolish. Anybody ever done something wrong and foolish and got caught? When you got caught, what happens? You feel guilty. God said the original state of man that I created, I placed him in a perfect environment and in doing so, he had a covering over him that protected him. Now, there is a, a, a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jonathan that translated the scriptures in a Western style more than an Eastern style. And I want to read to you what that verse says in verse 25 in his Targum. The word Targum literally means the translation of the Torah or the law. And here's what he said. He said, both of them were wise. Everybody say they were wise. That is what that word means. When you're naked in God's eyes, you're wise. He said both of them were wise, Adam and his wife, but they were not faithful or truthful in their glory. Everybody say glory. glory. So he's saying that when God originally created man, he put in man all the wisdom that he would ever need, everything he would ever need in his life and put him in a perfect situation. So man's original nakedness and the serpent's subtility, sometimes that's hard to even say together, and the man's nakedness after he fell has a link among them. 
And we miss it. We miss it quite often. And when we miss it, we miss what God is trying to do. So here we are. We have uh, Adam and Eve in an idyllic setting of the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden is the word in Hebrew, which means a paradise that is fenced off. Everybody say it's fenced off. I got to get you to understand this because if you don't understand this, you're going to miss everything that God wants to do in the scripture. So Eden was a place, a garden that God fenced off. In other words, God took Adam and Eve and put them in a garden behind a hedge, behind a fence. When you are in the right place with God, you are behind the hedge. And when you're behind the hedge, the devil can't get to you. If the devil gets to you, he must use indirect ways to get to you. Y'all hearing me now? In other words, you've got a line drawn in the sand and the devil can't reach you. He can't come to you. you got the blood of Jesus Christ applied in your life. So in order for the devil to do anything to you, he has to use something or someone around you to get you to listen to them so that you will allow a place for the devil to come in your life. Are y'all following me tonight? Amen? Amen. Everybody say the garden was fenced in. That's very important that you realize and you understand. So here we have Adam and Eve in an idyllic setting. Everything is perfect. I'm going to tell you, it don't matter how many times you move, how many men you're married to, how many environments you go to. If the environment was perfect, you'd mess it up because we are people under judgment right now. So you're not going to find a perfect church. You're not going to find a perfect husband. And you're not going to find a perfect wife. Except that tonight. And everybody say amen. amen. The truth of the matter is, is now God has fenced off a place in Eden. And he set that place up and it is belonging to God. And this is the place that God will come every day from the planet heaven to earth and talk with man. In other words... It's the tabernacle of God. Y'all getting me now? So when God originally created man, he made man and put him in the Holy of Holies. Y'all follow me? Here's man in the Holy of Holies. And God would come and meet him every day. And in the Holy of Holies, man don't know what's going on. He's not conscious of his flesh. He's not conscious of any of that because it's truly spiritual. So the fence that goes around Eden is just like the tabernacle. You have the fence on the outer court. You have the holy place. And then you have the most holy place where the glory of God is. And God would come down on a daily basis and he would meet man in the holy of holies. And they would commune in the cool of the day. The whole Bible is written on the fact that God is trying to get man back into the holy of holies. Everything that is going on all the way through Jesus to Revelation is that God's plan in the scripture is that man that he originally created being placed in the Holy of Holies was talk, taken out of the Holy of Holies and expelled out of Eden because of not listening to God. And now God has implemented the blood of Jesus Christ and all these generations we went through so that one day we can once again live under and in the presence of Almighty God. Y'all with me tonight, amen. Eden was a place that was planted, and the word planted means he was firmly fixed. It's a garden in Eden. 
So we have here the sanctuary of God. It was fenced off as the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place in the middle. It's amazing that the tree of life and the tree of good and knowledge, good and evil, is right in the middle of the garden. It's right in the middle of the, uh, the presence of God. Y'all follow me, amen? So Adam and Eve was created holy. And they were created in a holy environment. And we all know that Adam failed. If you notice there, when they were departing from God's sanctuary, God said, I took a cherubim and I put them on the eastern side of Eden. It's amazing to me when you study the Bible that when Christ made his uh, triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, he come into the east gate. So are y'all seeing how that comes together now? God puts the angel at the eastern gate of the Garden of Gethsemane to stop man from going in to eat the tree of life. But when Jesus comes in on his triumphal entry riding the donkey, he comes in on the eastern gate, and he, when he returns to Jerusalem, will come to the Mount of Olives and enter into the east gate. The veil was at crucifixion, and that signified that man... Now, although the church of the people under judgment, although they are under the judgment of God, when the veil was ripped from top to bottom at Jesus' crucifixion, it signified that man can now enter again into God's garden of Eden, the holiest of holies. So God has called you to be in the holy of holies. Smile at somebody right beside me and say, did you know I was holy? No, y'all got to talk like you know it tonight. Turn to somebody and say, did you know I was holy? Say, no, you don't, because I didn't know I was. <laughs> we don't realize how holy we actually are. We really don't. But God said, when I finished creation, I started out saying, let there be. And when I finished creation, I said, here's a man and woman in a marriage relationship, male and female, and they are naked and not ashamed. That is the crowning jewel of the creation. It's the highest uh, of point of the creation high points. The earth has went from empty and void in Genesis chapter number one now to being naked and unashamed. They've reached the pinnacle. The story of creation is not a story of physical human beings being created. It is a story of spiritual children, the very sons and the daughters of God, and that they were created in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies as a replacement for the angels that literally rebelled against him. And every single human being that has ever lived on the earth and ever will live on the earth will have an opportunity in their life to attain to a level to where they are naked and not ashamed. Look at somebody say, I'm naked, but I'm ashamed. Now, you're not supposed to be that way. But we find out in the church, so many of us, Every time something is covered, uncovered about us, we get a little ashamed. Amen? Yeah. Find out something that you don't want everybody to know about yourself, and you find that people get it out, and they find out about it, and it hurts your feelings. You feel ashamed, and you don't want nobody to minister you about it. What you'll do, you'll run away from it. Amen? God wants his people to be able to be naked before him 
and be unashamed. And that's the whole purpose of creation. He wants us to be wise and not confused. That's exactly what that word means, naked and, and, and uh, unashamed. It means wise and not confused. We want to be able to open up our life completely 100% to God and know that God knows us from top to bottom down to the deepest part of us and not be fearful when he comes in to deal with us. The psalmist said, Lord, search my heart. Go in, clean me up from top to bottom. Make sure that I'm 100% holy for you. That's what God wants in your life. I want you to understand Adam and Eve had spent a lot of time with God. I don't know how long they, they spent time, but every afternoon they would sit down and they'd talk with God face to face. And in that period of time talking to God, they found out that they were created for two reasons and two reasons only. And that was they were to serve and honor the creator. And number two, they were literally to subdue and dominate this planet. They were supposed to rule this planet. So why does chapter number three, if that was God's plan and he created man and woman, Men and women in the Garden of Eden, in the presence of God, in his tabernacle where he came and he dwelt on a daily basis. Why is it that all of a sudden now here we are jumping off into chapter number three and we got this old wily snake that turns up and he comes in and he takes the plan of God and he turns it completely upside down? Or does he really turn the plan of God completely upside down? Let me ask you a question. Can the serpent upset God's desires? Did he upset God's desires? So now we come to the most misunderstood mystery of all times. We got to discuss this serpent a minute. Whether we want to believe it, whether we like it or not, this serpent has a central role to play in the creation. He did in Eden. And he still does today. The one word that was used to describe him was, and his character is subtle. That indicates the why and the who of who this serpent actually is. He's subtle. We don't hear that word a whole lot today, but it's not the word you think it is. It's the word naked. The word in Hebrew can be either a positive one or it can be a negative one. Hebrew words have both a positive and a negative meaning. So in chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible explains this serpent as subtle, wise. But he was created in God's Eden. And when he was created in God's Eden, he was created the very same way that Adam and Eve was. So he was naked before God and unashamed. He was wise and not confused. I want you to go back. The verse number one, look at it. It said, and the serpent was. And the serpent, now the serpent was. That word was is the same word that you find in Genesis chapter number one, verse number two. When it says, and the earth was. And we have studied that word before, and that word means the earth became. So here it's saying that something happened with the serpent. And the serpent became more wise, more confused, more messed up in his mind, more than any other creation that there was. Why? What was it about him? Over a period of time, the serpent became more subtle. He became more wily. He became more crafty. In other words, the serpent changed. 
He became wiser. He became more delicate. He became more precise. He became more difficult to analyze. He became more complex. He began to use indirect methods to achieve something. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Amen. Why is it that he did that? Well, let me explain to you. He literally was not in the tabernacle, so to speak. He was out in the Garden of Eden, so to speak, in that area. And the enemy began to talk to him. And the more the enemy began to talk to him, the more the serpent heard him and began to change. It is very important for you to understand that the people you talk to has an effect on you. Can I say amen on that tonight myself? Whoever you're taking a telephone call from affects who you are. Whoever you're talking to on Facebook affects who you are. Whoever you let talk to you affects who you are. And whoever you talk to, you affect them. Amen. Amen. So he comes to her there in verse number one. It said, the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. And he came and he said to the woman, yeah, hath God said. Now in the original language, he walked up to her and he says, why hath God said that you can't eat all the trees of the garden? Why did he tell you that? He didn't doubt that God told her that. He didn't doubt the word of God. He didn't doubt the word to God to Adam that you don't, you're not supposed to eat this fruit. He walked up to her and he said, I want to know why. Everybody holler out and say why. why? That is Tina's favorite question. Why? Not, not so often, not so much right often. But it used to be every time. Why? Why hadn't this and done that? Why that ain't what I've done, it's what everybody else done. The devil's favorite question in your life is why? Why do you still have faith? Why do you still believe that you can be healed? Why do you still believe that living water can help you? Why do you believe that if you honor God with your tithe, that God's going to take care of you? Why is it that you believe in the Lord? Why is it that you will take your Wednesday night off, drive an hour to come to church? Why is it that you're wasting your time? Why, 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 why? How many get tired of hearing why? How many got children that their favorite words was why? You see, they asked, he asked, what did God say? Why did God say this? Just look at somebody and say, watch who you talk to. Better be careful about telling people why. Amen. Then he went on down to verse number four. I want to read it to you. It said, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. And what he literally said to her is basically, you can have what you want without dying or killing yourself. She basically told him, that's a pretty tree over there. It's beautiful. It's nice. But God said, if I eat of it, I'm going to die. He also said, if I even go touch it, I'm going to die. Now, Adam never told her that, and God never said that. But she added that to that and gave him a weapon. And he turned around and said, you know, that looks pretty good. Yeah, you even think it looks pretty good. And let me tell you now, and, and I'm going to share something here with you in just a minute. It's going to really blow your mind. Let me tell you now, you can do exactly what you want to do when you want to do it and have exactly what you want and you're not going to die. In other words, you can do anything you want to do and there is no repercussion. That is the doctrine that's going on in the church today. It's all right if you get mad and cuss somebody out. All you got to do is ask the Lord to forgive you. Amen. You've heard that. Amen. It's all right if you go get drunk. It's all right if you go do this and everything. As long as you go back before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm sorry and all this stuff like that. I want to tell you, in a sense, that it's got a lot of truth in it, but there's a lot of false doctrine in that, too. It's not about your actions. It's about your heart. 
If your heart has an issue, then you can beg God to forgive you all day long. But if your heart ain't right, you're not going to be forgiven. You need to hear me now. So watch who you talk to and watch what you say. The devil cannot read your mind. And I'm going to tell you some things that you're struggling with, you don't need to tell everybody in the world what's going on with you. You need to only talk to God. Amen. So she, he tells her in verse number four, he says, you can have what you want without dying or killing yourself. Then in verse number five, read it to me again. It says, for God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be open and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Now that word you shall be is the same word that we get back in verse number one where it says the serpent became. He's saying now when you eat this, you'll become like God. In other words, you're going to change. You're going to be better. How many of you here today wants to be better? Now that's a natural desire that we've got, right? We want a better church. We want a better life. We want better finances. We want better this and a better that. And we want to have a better family. We all want that. And the devil will take that want and use it against you. He literally said to her there, you're going to be, you will become God's opening up of knowledge. And when you do this, God will open up the door of knowledge to you and you will become just like God. You will be better than you are right now. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and look at him right quick. Smile at him. Say, boy, girl, you got to accept me how I am. Because you didn't create me, God did. God put his DNA in me. God put my personality in me. I am who I am. I is who I is. And I will be who God created me to be. You're not going to change me. And you can try all you want to and make me better. But the only person in the world that's ever going to make me better is God himself. Kip can't make himself better. Because when he tries to make himself better, he'll mess it up just like Adam and Eve did. So the devil preys on us and our desire to have things better. I want me a better car. I want me a better house. I want me a better church. I want me some better clothes. I want this. I want that. The devil always uses that against you. Amen? Now, the Hebrew word there says, don't you know that every artificer or every painter, every creator hates what he creates? Now, that's what he was teaching her said, you were not created to remain in this position. How many of you has a burning desire on the inside of you at times to just move away from where you're living? How many times in your life have you had it hit you? You just need to get out of town. I just need to leave that church. Just need to leave this marriage. Am I talking to anybody tonight? I just need to leave that family. It'd be all right if I could just get away from my job for about six weeks and go to California or go to Hawaii. Do I, I just want to move. That's the devil telling you just the same thing that he told you. You were not created to remain in this position. You'll be greater. You'll be like great angels who are wise and know between good and evil. Jonathan, in the Targum of Jonathan writes, he says, the angel of death was standing right there beside the tree. He guarded that tree. And she knew if she ate that fruit that she would die. Now that's what the Jews teach. But something happened between the conversation with the serpent and 
Eve to where she wound up getting the fruit of the tree. Her belief was when I touch it, I die. So she walked up to it, looked at it, touched it, and the death angel didn't move. She said, hmm. So I can touch the fruit, and I ain't dead. So undoubtedly, what God said ain't the truth. So you just hear the serpent back there behind her saying, see there, I told you, what you said is not the truth. You touched it, and you didn't die. You touched it, and Samuel, which is the death angel, did not come to get you. He's still standing there. Why don't you eat it? Now, what would have happened if he would have tried to get Adam to do that? The minute that Adam would have ate the fruit, he'd have died spiritually. It was not until Adam ate the fruit that mankind dropped and failed. But the woman now starts bedazzling a little bit and dabbling just a little bit, touching the fruit. And she touched the fruit. Maybe she walked around the whole tree and she started touching all the fruit. She said, well, hey, I'm not dying. I'm touching the fruit. It's beautiful. Now she's here and she's eating the fruit and she ain't dead yet. Now it goes on later on and says she gave the fruit to Adam. And when Adam ate the fruit, their eyes was open. So what that tells you is, Andrew, you can play around a little bit. When you first do what is wrong, you're probably not going to be judged immediately. But the more you dabble with it, the harder it's going to get. The more you play around with it, the judgment's going to hit you before long. So we got to be careful who we tell what our problem is. He walked up to her and he says, why did God say you can't eat all the fruit here? She said, because I'll die. He said, you ain't going to die. He looked at the, the death angel and he said, she ain't going to die, is she? Death angel didn't respond probably. And she began to touch the fruit. And as she began to touch the fruit, she realized she wasn't going to die. So she ate the fruit. And then she gave the fruit to Adam. When he held the fruit in his hand, he did not die. Because God had never said, if you touch it, you'll die. That was her addition. He said, if you eat of it, the day you eat of it, you will die. So the day he ate of it, his eyes were open, and he became naked. Are y'all following me, all right? So the woman knew that the fruit was medicine to open up her eyes. And in chapter number 10, God comes in. I'm sorry, verse number 10. God comes in, and he, verse number 9, and he says, where are you, Adam? In other words, he shows up where he's supposed to meet Adam at. And he's been meeting Adam there every day. And all of a sudden, Adam ain't there. So he hollers out and he says, Adam, where are you at? Why didn't you come to church? Look at somebody and say, why didn't you come to church? See, this is what was happening, a church service every day. Are y'all getting me now? This should wake up some people. Why didn't you come to church? Why are you hid from me? I'm used to seeing you every time I come. I've showed up for my appointment, but where are you at? And Adam finally comes out of hiding and he looks at them in verse number 10 and he said, well, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What was he afraid of? Well, God had told him the day you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And he shows up later on in the day and he's ate the fruit. So he's scared of judgment. I'll break it down a minute where you can understand it. 
In the original language, it means God came down with a arrest warrant to hunt for Adam. Now, how many has ever had an arrest warrant out on you? When you found out that the police was coming to get you, what did you do? Did you easily turn yourself in? What did you do? You tried to hide, didn't you? How many of you went on the run for a long time? Yeah, see, I got you. So here you are now. God has showed up with an arrest warrant. And just like when you find out that the police is coming after you, you try to hide from them. But not what happens. Usually when they got the arrest warrant, they usually find you, don't they? God found them. They come out. And he says, uh, where are you at? And he says, I hid because I was naked. And what's the first thing God says to him? Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Why are you afraid of me? Who told you that? Look at somebody say, who told you that? Now, all this started in a conversation. He asked him, he said, who told you you were naked? Did Adam answer the question? The next question was, or did you eat the fruit of the tree? And he said, yeah, I did. But the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, gave it to me and I ate. In other words, God, it's your fault that I done what I done. You get me now? And Lord, if it ain't your fault, if you never gave me this woman, I wouldn't have never done what I done. Amen, I'm talking to somebody now. But Lord, in, in, in all tr trueness of this, you're the reason why I done what I done. Because you gave me this woman to live with all my life. And she ate this fruit and convinced me, so to speak, by touching the fruit and eating the fruit that we didn't die. And it was all I needed. So I wanted to be with her. So I ate it. And it's your fault, God. And God looked at the woman. And he said, woman, why, why did you do this? She said, well, that serpent over there beguiled me. Now, with the man, it's always blaming the woman or the blaming God. But with the woman, it's always blaming a thing. Always blaming a thing. Not tonight, I got a headache. It's always blaming a thing. Why are you upset when you drive a car out there? Turtles up there. It's always blaming a thing. Why are you having a bad day? Because of so and so thing. It's always a thing. But notice what she said. She said, the serpent beguiled me. Everybody say beguiled. beguiled. That word means... He led me astray by continual pressure. So it was just one, one conversation. It was the, the, the serpent operating through the devil. The devil operated through the, the serpent constantly with her every day. Every day she showed up there in that part of the garden. Here he was says, you ain't going to eat that tree today? I told you you wasn't going to die. I told you if you touch it, just imagine. She comes in there one day, and she, she finally gets up, begins to believe what he says. She touches one of the fruits. She don't die. She runs away scared. Comes back the next day, and here's that serpent sitting there saying, you see, I told you if you touched it, you wasn't going to die. Why don't you just go ahead and eat it? Well, I don't know. But let me touch a few more and just make sure that I ain't going to die. So it's a pressure that the devil keeps doing in your life. Are y'all seeing this? Amen. Amen. So here you have the devil constantly coming in and bringing pressure. But the minute that they ate the fruit, 
It brought guilt and exposed their vulnerability before God because the covering that they had in their life was taken away from them. The warrant had been issued. God comes. Let me just ask a question. Can I get kind of personal? Has you ever been in your house, in your bathroom, no clothes on, and somebody that's not part of your family or somebody that is part of your family just open the door and you're standing there with your birthday suit? Has that ever happened to you? What's the first thing you do? Most women will scream, right? Most men will raise their voice. Or they'll kick at the door. They'll try to cover themselves up. They'll try to let the person know, hey, you don't belong here. Being naked is the most vulnerable thing a person can ever be. There's no barriers. Nothing is hidden. Everybody sees if you've got a big stomach. Everybody sees if you've got little legs. You don't have a shield. You don't have no interface. You don't have no pretense. When you are naked before God, you have no weapons of defense. When you're naked, it exposes every potential danger to you. When you're naked, you're cold. You don't have no clothes on, you can't get warm. When you're naked, you got pain. When you're naked, you literally are faced with criticism and assault. You have nothing to fight off any of that. And when you're naked, you can be rejected. Let me talk to the men just a little bit. How many of you took uh, phys ed in high school? How many of you just love going there and stripping off your clothes, taking a shower in front of all these men? How many of you chose not to do that there and not even get out there and do anything? See, there are a lot of people who didn't do that. And they set up their own thing, so I'm not dressing out. They call it dressing out because you're coming out. You're letting everybody know how naked and how bare you are. But here you have, when you become naked before God, you're burying yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the minute that God showed up, when this happened, God showed up and asked him, where are you? Why are you hiding? Who told you this? So I got some questions for you tonight as I close, all right? Who told you that it did not matter what church you went to and worshiped the Lord? Who told you that? It does matter where you go to church, amen? Who told you it didn't matter who your pastor was? It does matter who your pastor is, right? Who told you that the King James Version Bible was not the best Bible that you can have? That the New International Version, the, the New King James Version, the American Standard Version, all those other scriptures, all of that there is just as good as the King James Version Bible. Who told you that? I'm not, I don't have Bible religion. I really don't. I studied the original language. But the King James Version is the very best translation that we have here today. Who told you the King James Version was hard to read? It ain't hard to read. I tell you what, take a NIV Bible, go through the concordance in the back of the NIV Bible, and listen, look at some of the words, some of them words you don't never mention in your language. You don't even know what. Some of the Bibles do not even mention the cross. They don't mention the blood. They don't mention the word. Them Bibles are not. You see, here's the thought. The devil says the position that we are in is not where God wants us to stay. And the thought is that every six months, the English language changes, and it does. Six months ago, we didn't have slang meanings like we have right now. 
When I was a little kid, I didn't know what boo meant instead of trying to scare you. Now when you look at somebody and you say, it ain't about you, boo, it means something completely different. So it changes. So the thought is that because the English language changes, they got to have a new translation of the Bible every six months, and they do. Two new versions comes out every year, and it skyrockets. The last one I think that really come out to hit it was called the Passion Bible. It's all right. That's good. I read it and all that stuff. I've seen it. It's a good help and all that stuff, but it is a paraphrased scripture. It is not the straight scripture. It is a man's thought of what the scripture says. you got to be careful about that. The Message Bible is a paraphrased version. The Living Bible is a paraphrased version. The New International Version is a paraphrased version. The only literal translation of the Bible that we have is the King James Version. It's the only one we got. It was literally translated from the Hebrew and the Greek. It's all right to read a paraphrased version, but that ain't the Bible you need to have in your life. Who told you you needed to get a Bible that you could read? Let me ask you, did anybody have any problem with any word I read tonight out of the Scripture? Can't you read them? Amen. Amen. Can't you understand them? So it's very important for you to have the right Bible, but we have listened to the voice of the serpent and we believe that we need to have 15 different Bibles to find out what God has to say. Who told you that you could give your heart to God and live any way you want to live and still be saved? Who told you that? Now, I'm Baptist. I was raised Baptist. John was raised Baptist. Tina was raised Baptist. And they have a doctrine called eternal security. And I believe it to a point. But I still believe, according to Hebrews chapter number 6 and verse number, and chapter number 10 in Hebrews, you can make shipwreck of your faith and trample the blood of Jesus Christ again once you come to the light and you can destroy your salvation and lose it. And when you lose it, that's it. There ain't no coming back. So we've got to understand that eternal security is a doctrine that literally has been played with and it's been taught out there and went way to the extreme. We've got to understand that because it's important. Who told you that? Who told you that the only preacher to listen to is Kip Nance? Has Kip Nance ever told you that? No. Who told you that the only way to worship the Lord is to sit there on the back pew like Robbie is right now with his arms crossed like this right here? Who told you that? Who told you that you can't sing? You can breathe, can't you? Amen. You got a voice, don't you? Amen. You can stand up here and you can yell and you can scream, can't you? Amen. So if you can talk, you can sing. You just need to learn how to do it. Who told you you couldn't understand this word? Who told you that? Who told you that you're supposed to always be broke? Who told you that you're supposed to always be sick? Who told you that you should always be struggling to get ahead? Who told you that mess? Yes, I heard somebody say it was the devil, but let me tell you who it is. The devil don't come to you directly. He don't fight you directly. He always fights you indirectly. 
He'll take someone, and I'm going to choose Thelma, Thelma don't get mad with me today, but take someone like Thelma that you respect, that cares for you, and start talking to you and give Thelma some biased information and hand it off to Betty, and next thing you know, Betty's lost it. We got to be careful. Here's how the devil works. He will give Nettie an element of the truth. And he'll give Thelma an element of the truth. What they know is the truth. What Thelma knows is the truth. But they don't know the whole truth. And then he will polarize Nettie to that one truth. And he'll polarize Thelma to that one truth. And then Betty will go talk to Thelma and Thelma will give her truth. And then Betty will show up and talk to Nettie and Nettie will give Betty her truth. And now Betty is confused and she's ashamed. Are y'all following me now? Because she's heard the truth and what she's heard is the truth. So she still ain't satisfied. So now here she comes and she runs to John to find something else. And John gives her another element of the truth. Then she comes to Tina and Tina gives her another element of the truth. And after a while she got 50 people that's given her elements of the truth. But she don't know the full truth. And now she's all confused. And she finally decides, I'm going to go to somebody that knows what they're talking about. And I'm going to get it explained to me what the full truth is. And when they come in there now, you got, well, Robbie said this, and Thelma said this, and Tina said this, and all this, and this is the way they believe it. They believe it ain't that way, then it's wrong. Let me explain to you. There are ministries in the church, and then there are para-ministries in the church. There are para-ministries that stress faith. Okay? Faith has many different kinds of faith. There is seed faith, there is healing faith, there is blessed faith, there is uh, salvation faith. There's all kinds of different faith. All of them are true. But it does not mean that seed faith is the only faith that there is. So if Kenneth Hagin stands up and preaches seed faith, and you look at Kenneth Hagin and you say, that's the only faith that there is, when I stand up and preach you can get healed, then you're going to believe and see faith and you're not going to see the truth and you're going to be confused. So my question to you is, who told you that? That's what God's wanting this church to learn here tonight. It's not man that needs to talk to you. Because here's what was happening. God was showing up every day in the temple, in the tabernacle, in Eden, coming together, sitting down, talking with Adam and Eve. But Eve was going out and talking to the serpent. Y'all following me? And every time she talked to the serpent, the serpent was telling her something different. He was arguing that what she said was the, was the truth. The devil was talking through the serpent because the devil just don't show up in Robbie's life and stand before him and say, Robbie, it's all right for you to go get drunk this weekend. Everything will be all right. It's all right for you to tell that lie. It's all right for you to run around with that woman. The devil ain't going to do that. He's going to come around indirectly and start talking to him over a period of time. And then Robbie's going to go to John and say, John, you know, so-and-so, she asked me out. Do you think it'd be a lot to go out with her, although she's still married? And John said, well, you know. The next thing you know, here he is out with another woman, and she's married. 
Next thing you know, he got a baby by her. And she don't love him, and he don't love her. And then they try to make it work 10, 12 years, and all of a sudden, bam, she's gone, and he's all wrapped up, and now he's drunk all day. Y'all following me? Who do you let talk to you? So if God says, I want to talk to you every day in the cool of the day and get you naked and unashamed, who do you need to let talk to you? God only. Amen. Smiling so much, say, who told you that? Who told you that, miss? But Brother Kip, we need our brothers and sisters. You're right. We really do. There comes a time, church, you don't need to tell people what God's told you all the time. There's a time, sometime when God tells you something. I can't preach this sermon in many many churches because they are King James Version Bibles, and they got King James Version Bible religion. If I was to stand up and preach in other churches that they have the Quran read over here, and then the King James Version or the New International Version, I would be laughed out that I'm crazy. But I don't care what they say because it ain't what they told me that is going to get me naked and unashamed. It's going to be what God tells me, tells me that keeps me naked and unashamed. Amen. You got me? Smile at somebody and say, Who told you that stuff? Praise the Lord. Amen. You glad you came to church tonight? 